0: So, all right. So today's topic is Chapeh 25, and we start with the Mishnah. And actually, this—the second half of the second parak—we finally turn to the issue of the mitzvah sitting in a sukkah. Now that we have figured out exactly what a sukkah is supposed to look like and how it's supposed to be constructed, we get to the to the uh, to the um, parameters of the mitzvah sitting. And again, as uh, is sometimes the way with uh, the uh, Mishnayot and the ordering of the Mishnayot, whereas we might have expected, you know, the Masecha to begin with, there's a Mitzvah to sit in the Sukkah seven days, Um, Even if you're going to start with the issue of the of the construction of the sukkah, now that we get to the mitzvah, you might expect it to get to first laying out what are the basic parameters of the mitzvah, but rather it starts from the exemptions of the mitzvah, Um, similar as, you know, in a way it does somewhat parallel the first mission, which starts out what invalidates the sukkah. So we again, but it's interesting that it starts out with the negative. So let's take a look at our Mishnah that deals with not yet, the, not yet, what exactly the mitzvah is, but what exempts you from the mitzvah. So shluche mitzvah p'turmina People that are sent to do a mitzvah, literally, um, people that are traveling or on the way of doing a mitzvah are exempt from sitting in a Cholim sukkah. Sick people and the, their attendants are exempt from a sukkah. You can eat and drink um, temporarily, meaning not in a sense of a, you know, of, of a fixed meal, but like a snack. Um, you can do that outside of the sukkah. So these are things that can be done outside of the sukkah. Now, as I said, you know, sometimes this is just the way a mission begins. It begins with mentioning some of the exemptions. It sort of assumes we know there's a basic obligation, doesn't lay it out, lay down the foundation, starts with the more interesting or the exceptions to the case. However, it is worth considering, and this is a point I wanna come back to, that the reason it starts with the exemptions here is because if I were to ask you, what is the obligation of sitting in a sukkah? So, you might say, well, if you're eating a uh, bread or a mizonos, a certain amount of a Koveya suda, then you have to do it in a sukkah, or the first night you have to do it in a sukkah, and that's what you would have said. We might not have even mentioned sleeping, because we don't tend to sleep in a sukkah, although as we've mentioned, according to the Mishnah, according to the Gemara, it's even in some ways more obligatory than eating, because even a even temporary sleeping. But anyway, we would have started by that. But really, <coughs> if you think about it, a sukkot se yamin, dwell in the sukkah seven days, In some conceptual way, the mitzvah is to be living all the time in a sukkah. Everything is in a sukkah. Now, does that mean that the sukkah is a prison? That you can't step out of it? That you can't take a little drink outside of it? No, your house isn't a prison either. Okay, but you don't start by saying, oh, you only have to, when you eat so much bread, you have to do it in a sukkah the starting assumption is you're living in the sukkah you're doing everything in the sukkah so we start by telling you what doesn't have to be done in the sukkah because we start by assuming everything is done in the sukkah and that is a way of understanding why it is starting here with the exemptions and that's I think going to be an interesting way about thinking about this about thinking about fundamentally you know living in the sukkah that's where we start from the idea Okay, so let's take a look now as our deals with these various exceptions
1: you keep saying exception how do we know that in this mishnah the language of patur
0: does not mean patur al asur? Um, no, you never have patur al asur by a mitzvah se A patur aval asur is when ah, you deal with a, a, a transgression, which okay. means you're exempt from okay. the punishment, or more specifically you're exempt from a korban chatah, right, right. but you still have, you know, you might have still transgressed rabbinically or, or some technical, right. you know, way. Right. But, you know, this is about a positive right. mitzvah. Okay. words okay. okay. is like this. Mili. Where do you know this? That a somebody who's doing the mitzvah is exempt from a sukkah. The Tanu Rabbanan, a rabbi, saw uh, this is a discussion in Brachot um, about the, uh, um, as we're going to see, about a chassan, a groom saying Shema. Um, it says that you know you shall talk about these and you shall you know you shall you know um, and and you you shall talk about the torah you know the torah and you sh- and not to live in a house of divorce. So to exempt you when you're doing a mitzvah when you're going on the way As excluding the case of a chosan now why exactly has to do with a chosan but we'll discuss in a minute but somehow it means you talk about the Torah and you do those things You know when you're, on your, when you're normally just sitting around in your house or walking on the street but not when you're doing, involving yourself in a mitzvah or not a chosan on his wedding night, we'll discuss that in a minute from here, they said, "A says If a man is marrying a virgin, he is exempt from saying shema at night. That's But if he's marrying a widow or a woman who's already been married, the divorce would be included. Chaya he's obligated. So that's very strange. Like, what the heck? I get that maybe the permits b'mitzvah. What does that have to do with a chassan? And what's the distinction between a virgin and an omana? So let's take a look at the Gemara. My mashma, which is some ways, ways what the Gemara asks." where are you getting this from the verse how does this verse suggest that you're exempt from doing from saying from, from doing mitzvot when you are when you are already o sech now first of all I, again, I want to remind you that this is the specific locus of this bracha is about the question of saying Shema. When they say Chassan is exempt it means he's exempt from saying Shema on his wedding night. And the Pesukim the Shinantam Levanech of is understood by Chazal like more generally in the pasuk. it's about Talmud Torah. You should talk about the words of Torah. Right? But it's also understood to be talking about the Mitzvah of saying Shema. Right? That's in the pasuk about of Shema. The pasuk of Ayayim Shema is you shall talk over these words. So therefore they are reading it when do you have to say? Shema when Vishinantam When When you say Shema? When Right? think about the end of it. That's how we know the idea of a night of, of a of a nighttime Shema and a daytime Shema when you go to sleep, when you wake up. So that verse is understood to be talking about Shema and exempting these two cases, the Chassan and the person that is doing a mitzvah. So oh the mitzvah. So what we're gonna to have to do is first of all understand this whole chassan idea and then also understand why the it obvious that you can transfer that discussion of shema to other types of categories like sitting in a sukkah so let's take a look so my mashma where do you get it from because it says like a way it says like when you're on your way my Derek the same way going on a, on, a, on your way going on a journey is something that is like volitional it's not obligatory it's discretionary Whenever you're doing something discretionary, that's when you're supposed to say the Shema. <speaking in Hebrew> to exclude a person who's involved in a mitzvah, then you're doing something obligatory, not discretionary, then you don't have to say the Shema. They're
1: saying Bajaret means Kadaric
0: um yeah or or i'm not saying it's reading the bar as kid but it may be but i think what's also saying is anything like a scenario of going on the way of when you're going on trips and when you're doing discretionary activities as opposed to when you're not doing discretionary activities So the gemara says how do you know milo What's to tell you that we're not also talking about, or also talking about, the Kozel Zvar Mitzvah? Who says going on a journey means going on a discretionary trip? Maybe it in- involves everything that you do, even when you're going on the way to do a mitzvah. The Kamarachman of Likri the Torah is saying, "Read the Shema." Notice again the word Likri, right? It's specifically in the context of saying the Shema. You should be Kares Shema. So it says, "No." In kein it should say in your in sitting and in going. What does it mean? You're sitting and you're going. When it's your choice to be going, when it's something that you're doing, you're discretionary, then you have to say Shema. But if it's not something that's you, about you choosing to do it, it's an obligation, you're doing because it's a mitzvah, then you're exempt. We sort of have this by Shabbos, right? We have the idea of asurim. Right, the Shamayim Mutarim. Right, so you can talk about, you can make all those shul announcements about things that, you know, can't really be doing on Shabbos. We want everybody to be, uh, you know, donating to the upcoming dinner and we're going to be having this thing or whatever. Why are you allowed to talk about it? Because it's Chetzei Shamayim. It's not about your types of activities. It's about religious types of things. So that's, again, the possessive sort of makes that line between it. So here, too, when you're doing your activities, you know, your discretionary activities, that's when you say Shema, not when you are going ahead and doing, and doing a mitzvah. Now, that explains maybe the normal idea of the mitzvah. What does it have to do with the idea of a chassa? So before I address chassan, I want to introduce a very fundamental Machokas shown him about what is the nature of the B'mitzvah, Pachamina Mitzvah. Um, there are those shown him, like Rashi and Tosos, that understand that the idea is is that if I'm doing mitzvah A, I don't go ahead and do mitzvah B. B. It's only in a scenario where doing mitzvah B would take me away from doing mitzvah A, okay? So let's say, for example, uh, I'm saying the Shema. So if I were to stop saying the Shema to, I don't know, to go ahead and give some tzedakah to an Ani, I would have to stop saying the Shema. I can't be doing them both at the same time. But let's say, for example, um, I am. Um, I'm walking to do a mitzvah, and an is walking alongside of me. Well, he's not slowing me down for me to reach into my pocket and give him some money. So we wouldn't say oseik mitzvah patamina mitzvah. It's like, not stopping me. The only time we say patamina mitzvah is a case where it would actually take me away from a now somebody showed him ask on this they say if that's true why do you need a pasuk to tell it to me because let's say well, you didn't have a pasuk and you okay. say okay you're doing A but B comes along stop A to do B then what would your next response be uh-huh. the idea is you're supposed to switch to another mitzvah that presents itself so that uh-huh. what well, okay, why should you be switching? And also if you're telling me stop A to do B, then I should as soon as I move over to B, I should stop B to go back and do A. So of course you don't stop one to do the other. Now there's answers to that. Let's say B is something that's more pass a passing mitzvah, A is a not passing mitzvah, B could be argued to be a more important mitzvah. Okay, so there's reasons that you would say, you know, you would need this principle to say don't switch. But according to Rashi and Tos, the idea of Ozuk Mitzvah the Mitzvah is don't abandon A to do B. Other Rishonim read it in a more um, profound way. They say, no, if you're, and this maybe fits more the Pasuk, idach, idach, you only are obligated to do mitzvos when you're on your discretionary time. If you're already involved in a mitzvah, you don't have an obligation to do another mitzvah, even if that other mitzvah wouldn't take you away. The Torah is only putting the obligation of a mitzvah on you when you're not, when you're free, when you don't have free time, as it were. that free, free thing defined as any time that is being involved in your own things, but when you are already involved in a mitzvah, you're free from the, you, you are not. The other obligation is not imposed. So that means that even if I'm walking to uh, go ahead and run to show, Theoretically, and an unease comes up to me and he's walking alongside of me, I'm take the Mitzvah, even if it's not going to slow me down. I don't have to do it. I'm not obligated right now, already involved in another Mitzvah. Of course, to which, is, to which point, the response back is, so I don't get it. So do you mean that as long as you're walking around, let's say, with on, you don't have to do any Mitzvahs? Because you're doing a Mitzvah, you're free from other mitzvot. So they say no. It's not... Mekayin Mitzvah, Patramina Mitzvah, it's Oseik B'Mitzvah, Mitzvah. If you're actively involved in it, that's when you're free. Not if you just happen to be getting Mitzvah points because you happen to be wearing p- yeah, p- the you're p- not wearing you wouldn't
1: have to do anything. Exactly.
0: Okay, so these are two concepts. Now, why do I mention this? It's going to be relevant to understanding the Sukka case, but it's also relevant to understanding the Chassan case. Why is the Chosan exempt from saying the Shema? Now, the real answer, the real answer the most obvious explanation of why Hassan is exempt from saying vishma, and this is the way it sounds like um, in, in the Mishnayot and Brachos, is because he's distracted. He can't have sufficient kavanah. Nobody would have ever suggested the idea of you might remember that there's a famous Mishnah where Rabban Gamliel, I think it's Rabban Gamliel, Rabban Gamliel said the Shema went on his wedding night and his students said to him, like, what, uh, didn't you teach us, you know, Hassan is exempt from the Shema? He says, oh, Amy, call, I can't de- deal even a moment without accepting Omar vishma. Shemayim. Right? And then, the you know, but it seems like from the context of that discussion that his point was like he's also at this Madrega that he's able to have kavana. Other people can't have kavana. They'll be too distracted. So to some degree, it sounds like the issue of the chassan and jama is an issue of distraction, which is actually going to come up in the Gemara. But the Gemara here is framing it not about distraction, but about the mitzvah. So the question is, what type of an the b'mitzvah is the chassan? So if you take a look at Rashi, right? Rashi says the following. Rashi says um, uh, it's about I don't know, 15 lines down in the uh, medium sized line. The line starts with the word Licht of Balakha I mean, it's not the very last line of Rashi, which is the longest line of Rashi. Okay, anyway, say the wide lines of Rashi. Anyway. One really one, okay. okay, so anyway, Rashi says Tari. he's distracted says Rashi He's, uh, you know, he's, he's preoccupied with the fact that he's going to be having sex tonight. So notice Rashi says, and the idea I told you before, you can't do two things at the same time. You can't go ahead and start doing the Shema. It'll take you away from thinking about having sex tonight. But the point is, okay, but why is that like, mitzvah, and why is that taking him away from doing the Mitzvah that he's going to be doing tonight? So, if you look at the last Rashi um, not the last the Rashi says Tirda Um we'll get to that in a minute but I'll just read it to you now because it's relevant like three lines on the bottom no, no I'm sorry not that one um, uh, five lines on the bottom Chosem Tari Tirda the Mitzvah don't stop thinking about the first mitzvah that came your way which is uh, the fact that you're in the process of getting married and you're going to be having sex tonight continue involving yourself in the first mitzvah <laughs> so, and make sure you know how to do it well so the to Rashi first of all it's interesting why is it only about marrying a virgin it should also be whether the chassan is a, a virgin first time for the chassan how much he has to do it. But Rashi understands that somehow the fact that he's preoccupied with this also means that he's going to be doing it better. It's really an osek for mitzvah that is, um, and therefore to stop this and do something else would actually somehow compromise his ability to be Mikhaim the first mitzvah he's involved with this is the type of thing you have to say if your understanding of the Mitzvah the Mitzvah is by doing B it takes you away from A it compromises the performance of A you have to somehow construct this case of the Chassan on his wedding night that it's not just that he's found preoccupied but that actually not to, not thinking about it will compromise you know, the, you know his performance tonight that's what you would have to say according to Rashi the other approach is much easier the other approach is no it doesn't matter whether it's kind of compromise or not compromised if we think that the chassan and kala having sex for the first time framed that as a mitzvah then by think, even mentally thinking about it you're osikli mitzvah you're mentally osikli and that exempts you from other things I don't have to say that by doing something else it will compromise this it's not about compromising osikli mitzvah patamina mitzvah exempts you from another mitzvah that comes along as long as you are asus if you take a Rashi approach it has to really be framed somehow as compromising and that's strange so just to repeat what we said Oseh Mitzvah Patramina Mitzvah a great Rishonim is that only if doing the other thing will compromise the performance of A or even if it won't compromise the performance obviously you have to be defined as Asuk not just being Makaying, but even if it won't compromise the performance why do you need a Chiddush by Chassan what's the Chiddush by Chassan well the Chassan isn't physically being Oseh Mitzvah; he's just being mentally preoccupied and that's what, and so that's a chiddush. That's why we need a separate pasuk chas, by Even mental preoccupation is considered osake. But according to Rashi, what that leads you to say is the reason he's exempt is by doing something else, it would compromise the mitzvah that of, uh, that, of being with his wife tonight. Whereas according to the other approach, you don't have to argue it will compromise. All you have to argue is that he's mentally preoccupied. That makes him osake the mitzvah. Yes. Yeah, I so. never
1: understood either these gemaros or why we should not raise the following. Sh- and Onayn is also puter, but time passes, yeah. and then the he will be kicked in again. You have the chivv to say the shma until oh, Alotashaka. So why can't why can't the chivv? Oh, that's, can so that's, that's, I mean, that's an interesting I question. I don't know.
0: That's an interesting question. After after is, after they've but had but sex, say shma then. Exactly. Unless you assume that he falls asleep right away, I don't well, know. Then he uh,
1: always he's asleep asleep. Asleep. I mean, Then he's an honest. honest. But
0: that's a very good question. I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. Yeah.
1: Isn't it strange that?
0: Well, actually, I will respond to that, and I will say that, and I will say that, um, that what do you call it? That um, uh, bef- at the time of the mission, at least, there was not yet the halacha of Dom besulim is being treated as Dom nida. So actually they could continue to have sex even after the first act of sex. Now you might say, but then it's no longer being <laughs> g- then it's then it's no longer being labelled as B.S. Mitzvah, only the very first act is being labeled as B.S. Mitzvah. It's a generally an interesting question, or maybe he's not Atsuk as much, I don't know. It's an interesting question. I should also say why is that first act being labeled as B.S. Mitzvah? According to some Rishonim, you know, B.S. Mitzvah, according to some Rishonim, it's well it's because it's related to Pruervo. Well then everything is related to Pruervo. So some says are hey, anachanami. So Khirish is every act of sex is Biaz Mitzvah. It's only that the first one, even the first one is Biaz Mitzvah because according to, there's an understanding that you don't get pregnant from the first, you know, from the first act of sex when the woman is a, a you know, is, is a virgin. So he says, even that is bias Mitzvah according to some. Not only that. And anyway, it's an interesting question of why this first one is labeled Biaz Mitzvah. But, uh, anyway, it gets to your question, you know, about the re- what the, the re- re- remainder of the evening. Yes. Yeah, well,
1: what so I was going to ask, but if it's not true peru- or again, answered, but. Is, is,
0: the, is this mitzvah on the same it's not one of the so, so you know, right so if we're, uh, what so is this what uh, is this that is BF mitzvah so yes it either is pu or vu and then it's not only limited to this but then you have to say that this is the only time that he's considered O the mitzvah Others, uh, you know after they've had sex once then yes other times that they'll have sex is mitzvah but he's not preoccupied so the only case it's not the other things aren't mitzvah but this is the only time that he would be considered to be preoccupied with it um, there are those that say it's considered BS mitzvah because of the idea that, um, you know, there's a Gemara that says Aina Isha caresses bris which is a very like you know uh, challenging Gemara, but okay but basically that a woman who goes from being a virgin to a non-virgin and you know this actually impacts her body and it sort of makes you know it's the first you know a sexual experience in a way that changes her body in that way that creates a very profound connection to her husband um, is um, so therefore in a way they you know so based on like that concept there's an understanding that this is being called the because it really sort of brings together in a in a very profound and deep way husband and wife you know that first act of sex, and specifically focus on the first act. But you are right in the sense of okay, but that's not one of the Tayag mitzvot. That could be a very nice and wonderful and important thing, you know. But it's not one of the. It's not one of the mitzvot. So that is also interesting, right? Why it gets labeled as a mitzvah? Um, so all very good questions. And um, um, but let's uh, getting back to sort of the particular focus here. Let's take that as an assumption, and it is saying that therefore the chasan is considered to be osakeh the mitzvah. So now let's see. Yeah
1: or anything, but is it
0: possible that, that, that,
1: that are overanalyzing this? Well, so y- like, <laughs> <you know>? well, <laughs> yes, and that's
0: what I said. That actually, the idea of oshek the mitzvah, Patramina, mitzvah, as a global principle, is not as obvious as the Gemara w- makes it sound. And if you actually look at the sources in brachot, they sound much more that this is just an issue about. Um, about the Chosem being distracted and like uh, the ability to have kavanah, and it's not about some big principle about Osech B'mitzvah or maybe it's a principle that applies by Shema because if you think about it, right, Shema is about learning Torah so if learning Torah is supposed to lead to the doing of Torah so when you're doing a mitzvah you don't have to be saying the Shema which is all about the learning that leads to the doing it's sort of like you're exempt also from Talmud Torah when you know you leave Talmud Torah to do mitzvahs you leave Shema to do mitzvahs the way the Gemara globalizes it and turns the Chassan into an example of Oseh mitzvah and turns this exemption of Shema into a global exemption of Oseh Mitzvah is not so obvious from the earlier sources but that is what the Gemara is doing but now here the Gemara actually recognizes that Chassan might be based on something else so let's take a look so says like this Ihachi um, says the Gemara says Hamani Nami. so even if somebody is marrying in amana it should be osik the mitzvah so here notice although she's not a virgin it still considers it to be a bias mitzvah Okay, which is important. So it n- seems very clear, not based on that gemara I said about the impact of you know a, a woman having her first act uh, sex with her husband, but specifically that bia is a mitzvah, presumably because of pruvu. So if that's true, even if he's marrying a a widow, he should be considered a oh, sacred mitzvah. It's also a mitzvah there. So gemara says no. Konis says Konis Konis low No, in both cases he might be doing a mitzvah but in one case he's preoccupied so he's osake and in the other case he's not preoccupied he's not osake okay so now because he uses the word tarid the Gemara is sort of thinking that maybe it's not about mitzvah at all maybe it's only about being preoccupied right which is exactly what probably shot of that case would have been so, Gemar says it's called Heichel, Jitarit, Hachinami, You're telling me anytime somebody's preoccupied, they're exempt? sort of dropping the concept of a thing about mitzvah for the moment. says the That's true. How about if some guy, his, 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 his ship sank in the sea? You know, he just lost a million dollars on the stock market. Jitarit, and he's preoccupied. Hachinami, Depasser? Would you say he's exempt from the Shema? <speaking indfis libro> and maybe you'll say, yeah. Maybe he is exempt from the Shema. He can't focus. Hama Rabbi Amarav, but Rav Avabar Barzavda says in the name of Rav, although a mourner, chayi b'chol mitzvah is obligated in all the mitzvahs in the Torah, chut min with the exception of So I Shereinemar v'hen pe'er, because the Pasuk in Yechesho, which we'll see later, describes the tfilin as glory. And a choson, an avel should not be wearing tfilin, which is like you know, glor- being in a state of sort of glorifying um, with he, it, 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 it's a, it's a uh, you know, it's, it's a um, yinai, it's, it's an insult to the mace that he is supposed to be mourning to be, you know, to sort of be wearing the children that are considered to be glory. So that's the one thing he's exempt in but he's not exempt in the Shema so you see that being exempt in the Shema, is, if you, you see that being, um, that being preoccupied is not an exemption Gemara says no. So now Gemara gets back to the fact that it's not being preoccupied the world. It's about being preoccupied with a mitzvah. Okay? So basically. look at what the Gemara did the Gemara for a moment contemplated the idea that the exemption of Chassan was about just being preoccupied it had nothing to do with Osek the Mitzvah and it said but that can't be can't be that anytime somebody is preoccupied they are exempt by the Shema we never hear that rule we never hear that oh if you are too worried about your job and this or that you are exempt from the Shema and maybe if you want to suggest it's true, I'll give you even a counterexample. A mourner is obligated in the Shema. The only thing a mourner is exempt from the first day is Trillin. and we'll talk about that. But he's obligated in Shema, so you see, obviously he's very preoccupied. I mean, he just lost a close relative, you know, and nevertheless you're obligated. So it's not just preoccupation. What it actually is is it's tier de mitzvah. Now I do want to say that even if you said it was tier de mitzvah. You wouldn't have to necessarily have framed it as oshek oh, mitzvah being a mitzvah. You could have said, if you are being torahed a the mitzvah, then you're, what's exempting you still is the preoccupation, but you're not obligated to try to put aside the preoccupation because it's a mitzvah preoccupation. But still, what it's a specific shema issue about being able to have kavana. The stuff when you are preoccupied by other things, you're forced to bracket it so that you can have kavana. Whereas by, when you're preoccupied with a mitzvah, you're not forced to bracket it because it's legitimate to be being preoccupied with a mitzvah. The Gemara, however, seems to, as I said, not be focusing on preoccupation as the basis for exemption. The fundamental basis for exemption is Osech B'mitzvah, Patramina Mitzvah. The point, and the Kiddush of the is just that the preoccupation makes him to be considered to be Osay. I think I made that too complicated for everybody. You
1: could have written a call by to take
0: a preoccupation, no? Let's not go there. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway. So okay, I, I I have a feeling I'm making this too complicated. So let me just try again to sort of summarize this. Okay, the case by the chassan being exempt could be just because of our preoccupation, which the Gemara contemplates but rejects because based on the Avel, we see that even if you're preoccupied, you're still high, a person is still high in the shema. So we're back to what we said, square one, which is that we're framing it as osit mitzvah Patramina mitzvah. The idea by the chassan is that even mental preoccupation is considered to be osit mitzvah. The difference between the the virgin and the widow is not that in both cases it's, he's not about to do a mitzvah but in one case because he's preoccupied he's osate the mitzvah and in the other case because he's not preoccupied he's not osate the mitzvah so yes preoccupation matters but it matters to define you as Osate the mitzvah and at the end of the day the exemption is based on Osate the mitzvah again it is interesting that it is considering sex on the wedding night with with the amana as a mitzvah that's not the difference whether it's a mitzvah or not a mitzvah the difference is whether he's considered the mitzvah. Now, the other interesting thing that emerges from this is that it makes it sound like the, an Ovel being preoccupied with the uh, with who, the, the person who just passed away is not considered de de Mitzvah. It's considered de de Rishus, right? As opposed to the Chassan who's planning on, you know, having sex that night, right? So that's actually... Uh, a little a little surprising. You might have thought that the whole idea of Avelus is to give you the opportunity to be reflective and to think about these things and maybe we would call that also Tirda de Mitzvah, right, if the Avelus is thinking about the person who just passed away. So look at Rashi, three lines from the bottom, Tirda de Rishost. I always find this tomorrow fascinating, you know, that it labels the the thinking about the mace as Tirda de Rishost so Rashi says so Rashi says interesting all of the various manifestations of Avelos are not necessarily just manifestations of pain and suffering they are ways of demonstrating respect in the sense of respect that, like the death had this tremendous impact on you but not necessarily one uh, there is not necessarily an idea of being afflicted it's quite fascinating because you would think that the whole reason that the acts of availos are acts of demonstrating respect is they show how the loss has created the sense of devastation, right? You're now on the, the person on the ground, you're not know, wearing his shoes, it's like, why is it respectful? It's respectful because it shows how much that loss has impacted on the person. So, uh, you know, the idea that having a sense of suffering or, 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 or these types of thoughts is not, is a tier de derashoes, I, like, have a very hard time getting my head around. I mean, you know, you could say that the Avelus period is a period where you're supposed to be sort of reconciling yourself to it. It's a period of Tanchumim. You know, it's after the aninos. Aninos is when it's completely a sense of devastation and then you are exempt from mitzvot because by the period of aninos, you are supposed to only be thinking about the mace. The Avelus is the next stage. It's the stage of being consoled and reconciling and sort of working through it. So there maybe it is the statement it is it's unhealthy to be overly mitzvahair. Um but I still think it's a very fascinating statement in the Gemara that's considered cheered de rishot. You know? So all right, let's keep on going. So the Gemara says like this are you telling me you learn out from the Shema case? you learn it from the story of Korban Pesach to Tanya, we in the we turned the bright that by share there were people that were tummei for impurity of body and they couldn't do the kurban tasbah and they came to mosha and that's where we got tasbah shaming ozamanoshimi who are those people no serona show yosef hayu they were the ones that were tummei because they've been carrying art yosef's coffin by takmosha's mosha stay himo so divri b'yosef gweeli that's where b'yosef gweeli um, Reb Yaakov omers. Reb Yaakov says, "Mishael ve'elzafan ha'yu." They were Mishael veltsafan who were, you know, the nephews of Aaron, who were the ones that took Nadav and Avihu out of the base, out of the Mishkan when they uh, the fire consumed them. Shayu oskim and that's how they became tameh. Reb Yitzchak omers. said, "No, that can't be." Ynose Aaron Hayu li taher. Says, "Look, they made the Pasach when they were encamped still at Har Sinai." Okay? They had been encamped at Harsinai for about 10 months. And then they made the Korban Pasach at the following Nisan. So, they had been put, whoever carried the, the, the coffin of, of Yosef put it down when they arrived at Harsinai. And then it's been 10 months since he's been there. They've had enough time to become Tahor. Now, also the question is, when were they told about Paradum, about how you could become Tahor? So, according to Khazal that happened at Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So anybody that was tameh before Rosh Chodesh Nissan, you know, they had 15 days to become tahor before Pesach. So it couldn't have been the people that were tameh with, with Yosef's coffin. In you? call him retire? And even if it was Mishael the Sofan, that story of Nadav and Avihu being consumed was on Rosh Chodesh Nissan, according to Chazal. So they also had 15 days to become tahor. Ella, oskim be mitzvah No, they were just stun people who were involved in some burial of the dead. You know, Mitzvah sometimes has a technical term that nobody else is burying this person. But the way Razi says it means, no, just they were burying a relative. And it just so happened that their relative died uh, a week before Pesach. And their seventh day was, was Erev And therefore, they were still Tamei. Now, why do you have to say their seventh day was Erev Pesach? Maybe it was the third day. the verse says, Lo Yachlu Bayom HaHu. They couldn't do the pesach on that day. They couldn't do it on that day. If it had just been one day later, they could have done it. Okay, so he uses this to say that it was the last day that they were tameh. The seventh day, they couldn't be tahor, even though they. But if it had been one day later, then they would have been able to become tahor, and they would have been able to bring the korban pesach. So now, by the way, this is fascinating because what it also shows you is Chazal's desire to basically tie up loose ends. Like, you just have a passage which is like some random people came and said to Moshe, we're Tameh. Because I said, who were those people? Oh, maybe we can connect it to the people who brought Yosef's coffin. Maybe we can connect it to, uh, 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 you know, to, to Michelle V. el These are other people we know were Tameh. And then, of course, Rabbi Yitzhak makes a very cogent argument and he says, no, you're just going to have to accept we don't know who these people were. They were just some anonymous people who had some, for some unknown reason, you know, had become Tameh. But again, it's interesting, the desire to take the story which is very general and make it more or concrete and tie it into people into events that we're aware of and Chazal tends to do that a lot when you have like anonymous people like the person who goes out right and, and he curses God right and they try to tie that into a very concrete person in a very concrete event so here they're trying to do the same thing okay now, so yes yeah. the, the period
1: between the, uh, the, the, um, the in, in Egypt and the uh,
0: Oh. No, um, because you're basically about the Chazal that like everybody that, that even the Jews even when Israel died yeah, of course you're but no, but that was also a very long time but anyway they didn't have like a para in Egypt so if people had become Tameh over the course of their slavery how did they become Tameh? You know, so I don't know it's probably a Tumahut for a bit in that case Anyway, so that is actually quite fascinating that it's only concerned about the people who carried the Aaron of Yosef what about people that have been Tameh their whole lives? You know, how did they become Maybe it assumes that, like, at Harsinai, it was like a. Because the Merges uses Harsinai as a paradigm for conversion. Maybe they all became like Koth Shinola dami, you know, it sort of restarted everything at Harsinai. I don't know, but it, it is an interesting point. Forget, you know, forget the Medrish about the plague of darkness, right? When did anybody become Tahor, right? They've all been Tameh. So, anyway. Yeah. really Right, right. But see, so the point here, though, is regardless of who it was, the point is, is that, well, it's not so much regardless. If we assume the reason they became tummy was because they had a, a mace, they had a berry, so now the Gemara is bringing this into the discussion of Oseh Pumitra Pachamina Now, why? What does this have to do with Oseh Pumitra Pachamina Because the implicit point in the Gemara is why did you bury this, uh, this you know, this, this body, your relative? You knew Pesach was coming up a week from now, so you should have just, you know, not done it so that you could have brought the Pabba Pesach. It must be, since this is the first mitzvah that you, you encounter, you have an obligation to do it. Now, again. Okay, but what does that have to do with those statements of Pab in the Mitzvah? Right, other statements of Pabba is while I'm doing this, I don't stop to do something else. Here it means that, I, you know, I know that doing this will obviate something in the future, but this is the one that's in front of me now. This is the one that I do. It doesn't really seem connected. It really only works to some degree if your idea of otzik mitzvah is don't compromise a for the sake of doing b right if that's your idea if i'm already doing a don't compromise a for the sake of doing b then i can say oh so i shouldn't compromise this uh you know this case of this uh, of this dead body for the sake of a future korban Pesach then at least there's some type of a comparison about the idea of Osech-Limitzvah Pachamina Mitzvah. So that seems to be what the Gemara is saying, which works in with that model of Osech-Limitzvah. So don't you see we have this principle already from Korban Pesach? So the Gemara says, no. Um, you need both examples. you had the Korban Pesach model. It's like I'd say, it's much less of a relevant example that says, go ahead and do A, because B is only in the future. So it's not telling you the principle, as when, B, when you encounter B, don't do B. You haven't encountered B yet. And even though you'll encounter B a week from now, when you bring the Kortesach, at that stage you're already coming. Right? So the choice that you're making right now to choose A is when B is not in the picture. Okay? So then it's much more obvious that you choose A here, where you're doing your mitzvah, you're in the middle of A and B comes along, it's not so obvious you keep on choosing A. Now that B came along, maybe you go and you do B. OK? It's a different scenario. Scenario. A malo? Maybe not. Sricha. So you need to tell me that even if as you're doing A, you bump, B comes along and presents itself, don't stop A to do B. Okay, so that's a much better example. So had you just had this case here about the Kriya shema mishum fine. That tells you don't go ahead and do B when it bumps into you, because if because if B isn't so important, if B isn't a big weighty mitzvah that you would get kares for, Oh But if but if the B that came along, but thereby the pesach the ikkakares that the krum pesach is a punishable by kares, it's a very very weighty mitzvah. Eimala, maybe in that case you would abandon A to do B. Sricha, you need both cases. So from Korban Pesach we learn don't stop A to do B even if B is more important. Right? Even though core is more important. And from Kriyastromat we learn that each, when you're in the middle of doing A, and B encounters you, and B is presenting itself right now, don't, trans, don't transfer doing, don't stop A in order, in order to do B. Tosis, of course, asks that what we don't have is the combination of the two. Let's say you're in the middle of doing A, and then B comes along, and B is courage, or B is more important. Right? So you see, we have one case where you did A before B was around. B was much more important, but B wasn't on the scene yet. We have the other case, you're doing A and B comes on the scene, but that's when B isn't so important. What happens if you're in the middle of doing A and B comes along and B is much more weighty, right? If I'm in the middle of saying Shema, but if I don't stop Shema right now, like, um, you know, uh, it's, it's uh, I don't know, it's somehow right before nightfall, if I don't stop Shema, this baby isn't going to get a bris right? <laughs> so what, I don't, I would say not Mitzvah? Do we say, no, in that case, it's not like, B is on the scene and it's more important. So what is the limit to that idea of Oseq Mitzvah? Tosus raises that. What happens when you have the combination of the two? But these two for the Gemara create this principle of Oseq Mitzvah Mitzvah, which again, according to some Yashonim means don't do it if it's going to mean that you're going to have to compromise A, and according to other we've shown it means even if you're not going to have to compromise A, if you're doing A, you, if you're involved in doing A, you never stop A to do B. Okay, are there any limits to that in terms of how important B is? That's a little bit of an open-ended question. But that is the basic principle. And the basic source <laughs> is Shema, although Pesach is adds to that issue. And again, by the Shema we would have said maybe that the idea of chosan was based on distraction. We could have easily have said that the Shema example is not relevant. The chosan is based on distraction, and the idea that you, don't, that you stop Shema to do other things, um, or excuse me, you don't stop other things to do Shema, is because the whole idea of Shema is like Torah, and Torah leads to doing, and you don't stop the doing in order to do the Shema. We could have bracketed that entire case. But the Gemara treats the Shema as a basis for a global principle of Oseik B'mitzvah, patramina mitzvah, and explains Chassan not because the distraction per se is what exempts him, explains Chassan that his distraction defines him as Oseik B'mitzvah, as mentally being Oseik B'mitzvah. And the case of the and Amman is not if there's going to be a mitzvah, but how much is he mentally Oseik B'mitzvah and sees it all through that lens. Okay, and now that we have laid that all out, that is what we are going to say is the exemption by uh, sukkah, okay? That sukkah, the reason they're exempt when they are mitzvah is because to stop doing it will mean that they will, they're will they already involved in a mitzvah so they don't have to stop to do another mitzvah. Now, what does that mean? Like, okay, it's one thing when they're on their journey. They don't have to stop and find a sukkah to stop and eat. It's going to take them away from, you know, getting to wherever they're going. They're going, let's say, to be pidgin shivuyim is an example Rashi ha- has. All right, but let's say it's nighttime. they got to sleep somewhere. Why should they go to the holiday inn over there, if they can just go to their friend that's got a sukkah right? Why does that exempt them? Just because they're osste the mitzvah? So if you take a look, look back on um and the Tosa's isshluhe mitzvah. Tosa says the following: he quotes Rashi: "Hoge bitvaruga,tura, Obo, even when they're going to sleep, when they're camping out, whether day or night, it sounds like the reason you have to underscore even at night is because you're not traveling at night. You're only traveling in the day. Okay, and then he says, why? So now here's the question. He says, the toastment says like this, you skip to the end of the toast, folks lomar like the last two lines of tosfos. So he says, why are you exempt? The the mitzvah You have to construct a, a scenario where if they it's easier to go to the holiday inn and they'll get a better night's sleep. And if they would have to go and look for a mitzvah to sleep in, it'll first of all take away from their time. They won't sleep as comfortably, and they'll have some impact on their kiyum mitzvah. So according to Tostos, if your idea of Osech BeMitzvah is don't do B if B will compromise A, the reason these guys who are going traveling to do a mitzvah are exempt from sukkah is only in a scenario where sitting or sleeping in a sukkah will somehow compromise their mission, right? Like the Blues Brothers, we're on a mission from God. So if they're on a mission from God, right, and going to a sukkah will somehow compromise it, it's a problem. But according to the other approach, you don't have to argue that it will compromise. The other approach says it doesn't matter. If you're in the process of doing a mitzvah, even when you go to sleep, this is part of the process of traveling to do this mitzvah. It's all part of being oseik be mitzvah. And therefore, you are just exempt from sukkah. I don't have to say that it will compromise, even if it won't compromise my doing of the mitzvah. I'm osik be mitzvah, I'm exempt from sukkah. So this is exactly this machlokes. Do you have to argue to be exempt that if doing the other thing will compromise? According to Tosos and Rath, you say yes, they have to construct the scenario where finding a sukkah to sleep in or eat in will compromise the mitzvah according to the other approach, you don't have to argue that as long as you're osake, and even sleeping is part of being osake in this scenario then you're exempt yes so what do you want to say well sure but you see that already from the chassan the yeah. chassan is osake; he's a not doing it. And B is right. only thinking about right. it. Right.
1: So even if you take away the psychological piece, it's right. the entire profit. Right. Totally. Entire process. Totally. Entire process totally. Right. You.
0: Reverend, yeah.
1: the line when we're uh, mis- business not abusing? What? Where do you draw the line? So these people are on a midst Right. So they exempt from suffering. Right. Right. What
0: are the midst for? They exempt. From? Right. So presumably they'd be exempt from saying the Shema. They'd be exempt from like. O. Why? Right. You mean why? What stop, what's, you know, yeah, why you is it getting in the way? All the right. So this is the question. If you say only if it compromises, so then you're not going to exempt them from most things. But if you say even if it doesn't compromise them from doing it, then it seems like they've got like this blanket exemption, you know. Which And so therefore, the reshoning that say that you're exempt even if it doesn't compromise you, sort of a little bit qualified and say of course if it's like totally trivial to do the other thing you're not you know you shouldn't not do it you know because it becomes too much of an extreme position uh-huh. you're right so here g- I am I'm on traveling the boat. you're I'm, a boat <laughs> you have
1: nothing to do on the boat while you're going uh, to yeah. You're yeah, exactly playing exactly, playing exactly. Playing so playing yeah playing and maybe they are We're I don't right them. right
0: you're he, right, exactly, exactly. So the Rishonim try to say that they try to pull back from the extreme implications of this position and say, like, when it's completely trivial to do this other thing, you know, you don't, you know, then, then you, then you, then you, then you, have to, or then you at least you, you should. Um, but you're right; it becomes extreme. Okay, let's go back to the Gemara. Gufa. So first we're going to look at this Avil story. It's obligated in all mitzvot except for tefillin where it says glory. That's an appropriate, would not, it would be disrespectful to the mace to be involved in something that's described as glory. Because, you know, there's a whole thing that God says, take a wife and then say the wife is going to die and you're going to, you know, and this is a, going to be a sort of a metaphor for the fact about what's going to happen to B'nai Yisrael and how they'll be, they'll be bereaved and so on so and then in that thing where God commands Yechezkel what to do when the wife dies it's quite funny because some of the things God commands Yechezkel to do are acts of Avelus some of the things that God commands Yechezkel to do is to specifically not act like a normal Avel so Chazal learned from Yechezkel practices of Avelus but sometimes they learn because we do the reverse of what Yechezkel did and sometimes they learn because we, it is what Yechezkel did so some of the things are acts and some of the things are contrary to acts so let's take a look. God says to Yechezkel, put your glory upon you. You are obligated to wear your glory, which is understood to be tefillin. Everybody else is exempt. That's only on the first day. The immediate aftermath of the death is like a bitter day. And that day in particular is so bitter that you are exempt from Chilin. Obviously, to exempt you from a mitzvah is a big thing, so we won't extend it beyond the first day. Um, I should say two things. First of all, some of the have explain that the reason is, or connect this to a, a debate, that some say avelos the first day is deorisa. The There's a question whether any practices of avelos are deorisa, but those that say it is, limited to the first day. So that might also be connected to exempting you from Chilin. But the other point is important to note. That because it's acknowledging the bitterness of the first day, and some of that bitterness is contrary; it's not appropriate to counter that bitterness with the wearing of tefillin. So you could say it's not appropriate to the availus to be wearing tefillin, or the other way: somebody that that is in such a bitter state, it's not appropriate to the tefillin. You know, which it's not appropriate for one mitzvah to for those mitzvahs to intersect. It compromises the availus and compromises the tefillin with that degree of bitterness. But again, it's quite fascinating because here we're acknowledging that that first day is considered this day of bitterness, but we're still. member obligating him to say the Shema and the Gemara says that that sense that he might preoccupy is tir de derishus even on the first day even when this idea of bitterness is a day that was, is a reason we used to exempt him from Tfilin so again the idea that the Gemara calls the sort of tsar of an Ovel tir de derishus even on the first day even at the same time when it uses his mental state to say why he not, does not wear Tfilin to me is a very challenging idea
1: in Jerusalem when midnight used to bury at night the next morning would be the first day. Is it the minas or is it the avil does not wait so it's... Um, there, here you never see it because the Kavura is going to be in the morning or in midday. Yeah. And that's the first day. So there's already the second no, day so, the first morning.
0: Yeah, so, the, you know, it's a longer discussion about the, um, about how to exactly define what the first day is, particularly in this question of the first day being the orisa. It might only be like Yom HaKvura and then the, right. you know, and then the following night. So, let, okay. It's a good question, but let's back okay. at it. In. Okay, so the question is like this. Yeah. I'm
1: sorry? Just a point. burials in
0: Jerusalem? Yeah. All I know is that they're not they will bury us Okay, it's then the death goes. Let's keep on going. Let's keep on going. Okay? The Amar Abba Barzav, the Amorav, Avel Chayav the Sukkah. And Avel is obligated in the Sukkah. Right? Now, we've already identified that his preoccupation is not preoccupation of a mitzvah, so that should be obvious. So the Gemara says pshita. That's obvious. So maudetema. I might have that whole vamoravavbarzavdamoravmitsdarpatiminasukka. Since we have the same person, bar, Barzavda in the name of Rav, who says that an exempt, uh, somebody who is in pain, uh, who's, uh, who's suffering, is exempt from a sukkah. High nami Who this person is also suffering, right? Same idea that we've been talking about. Right. Kamat Milan, honey militzara That is suffering that comes. Uh, like uh, you know, from out like by on its own accord, you the and say here, this Ovel is bringing it upon himself. he should just he, he should he should try to settle down his mind. So again, quite fascinating. How the Gemara seems unsympathetic, unsympathetic to the Avil Tsar. Again, maybe because we're supposed to be moving from the sense of Tsar to a sense of Nechama, and says you should you know this Avil should be just calming himself down now. It's quite fascinating that the says this because the normal reason we understand a mitzahar is patramina sukkah is because being in the sukkah is the source of the tsar. You're so being in the sukkah and there are bugs and there are gnats and the sukkah is the source of a tsar so you're not supposed you don't live in a house where the house is it causes you tsar so you go somewhere else you go where there's no tsar it's, you, you know that's not the way you live you don't live in a place where there's all these bugs and gnats and so on. But if the person is in tsar, regardless of where he is, you know, what's the line? Wherever you go, there you are. So if the person is in tsar tsar, wherever he is, why should he be captured from a sukkah? It's not that the sukkah is the source of it. So the Gemara shouldn't be saying, oh, you should, the person should get rid of his tsar. She's not saying the sukkah isn't the source of the tsar. So that's pretty much how Rashi explains it. If you look at Rashi, um, like 10 lines from the bottom, tsara dimimela, Rashi says, the sukkah is the source of the tsar. And here uh, and, and here that's not the case. So it's interesting though, because the Gemara right didn't seem to say that, didn't seem to say the reason your chayiv is the sukkah isn't the source. It seems to say that the reason your chayiv is because this Abel needs to handle it himself, which raises the possibility that the idea that the mitzvah is exempt from the sukkah could be even though the sukkah isn't the source of the tsar, Right? Because, that's, because then the Gemara should have said that here. The Gemara should have said, the reason the avalafchayev is because the sukkah isn't the source. It doesn't say that. It's because we're not willing to give any credit to this tsar. So let's say somebody is, high degree of discomfort, here's a common scenario, right? Somebody really has a high degree of discomfort. He's not exactly sick. I don't know. Let's say he's got a terrible rash. Okay, you know, he's got, uh, you know, mosquito bites all over his body, he's got a terrible wrath, he's just highly right. discomforted. So be that discomforted wherever he is, that he have to sit in the sukkah. So, you could say, you know, yeah, the sukkah isn't the source of the tsar. Or you could say, no, maybe just means that whenever you're in that state of tsar, and we can discuss why that would be, it doesn't matter what, but it doesn't matter what the source is, you don't have to be in a sukkah. Okay? the, so, the Ovil, right? No, Shara di is the case when you're exempt when it's not something that the other is bringing upon himself okay so again what we have here is a very open-ended ambiguous Gemara on the one hand fascinating as I said that it assumes that it doesn't give credit to the tsar of an Avel, which is just fascinating to it not to notice it's that already two or three times it did not give any credit to that but why is an avel obligated in a sukkah why doesn't he fall into categories mitzta'er and there are two ways of arguing it one is mitzvah is only an exemption when the sukkah is the cause of it. Okay, then fine. Then you don't have to say that the Allah needs to get rid of his Tsar, It's just the sukkah isn't the cause. That's one way of explaining because the sukkah isn't the cause. The other way of saying is that mitzvah is always touching in the sukkah. It doesn't matter what the cause is. But the reason the other is not is because we just don't give any credence to his star. We say, get, you have tsar, deal with it. Okay, and therefore that's not a legitimate, but it doesn't, but a mitzvah that's, that's, that can't get rid of it, even if it's not based on the sukkah, might really be patramina sukkah, and that's an interesting question. Okay, so again, quite fascinating how much of the Gemara is discounting the tsar of the Avel. Um, okay, I think we will end, we will end here, so we did a, a lot conceptually, not so much textually, but a lot conceptually.